Hey guys, we recorded this podcast on Monday night, so we did not know about the trade for Marcus Peters, but don't worry, we recorded an addendum to be added to this podcast, and you'll get our full analysis of our thoughts of the trade and the other goings in the NFL. Once you got to look at the total picture of it, did you feel like he handled it well? He did, he did. He played well, he was always in the right spot, made the plays he had to make, and uh, Chuck did a real nice job. I thought, I thought everybody did a really good job. I mean, you can, you're going to pull plays here and there say they need to be better, which they certainly uh, do, but uh, all in all, you know, I thought our defense played pretty darn well. Welcome back to another episode of Ravens Recap. Ravens are through their first three divisional games of the season. They had them back to back to back, as we've been talking about. Came out two and one after a interesting victory yesterday against Cincinnati. I texted Alec and Chris after the game. I said, I thought it was ugly. They had a little bit different opinions. We'll discuss, and we'll also look ahead to this upcoming game in Seattle. Well, before we discuss how we felt, the one person who thought it was ugly was actually at the game. So maybe you have some hot takes from live at the stadium. I might. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that comes in. I'm not going to tell them all at once. But <laughs> uh, for me, I, a part of it might be, you know, sometimes you're influenced by your environment. And I will say that... The fans in my section throughout the game had several complaints throughout the game and were, you know, had a lot of opinions on the Ravens play calling on offense and, you know, some of the things we let slide on defense. My opinion usually with fans at games is, you know, you're being reactionary in the moment. Maybe you've had a couple drinks. You know that your voice is going to be heard because, you know, the 12th man is getting in there and getting in the opposing team's head. So part of it may have been influenced by that. And let me also preface, the Ravens did a lot of good things yesterday. I mean, Lamar, you know, I I like it when our offense is a little more balanced, but they obviously saw something on film. They ran Jackson as effectively as they ran him last year in his first NFL start to the tune where he had an NFL regular season record. Apparently, though, Colin Kaepernick in 2012 against Green Bay also did the same thing, but for some reason, that's the playoffs, so it doesn't count. I don't understand that, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I think the Ravens, they did some good things, but also they were playing one of the two winless teams in the NFL yesterday. And it's still a divisional game, like we were talking about. You throw the records out, but I was hoping for them to, to win the game by at least two scores. I don't know. We'll talk more, but that was my initial thought. Right. I, I think the stat that really jumps off the table here, well, the two, the two stats, I'll say. One, the final score, 23-17. So it's fairly close. It was a one-score game. But then you look at the time of possession, and the Ravens absolutely dominated this game in time of possession and, and I mean, total offense, to be clear. I mean, time 39, 39, almost 40 minutes that the Ravens held the ball this game. And you would think if they held it for that long... They put up more points, you know, and it's just, you know, we, there were lots of drives. We just would get stuffed and, you know, have to rely on Tucker to bail us out to get some points. You know, if you turn all those into touchdowns, it would have been a, a runaway game. Yeah, particularly when they got stopped right inside the five yard line. That was a big bummer because they were just getting right down the field. But you're right. We had that miscommunication twice once the miscue over the middle it ended up being a drop 
um, and that kind of stifled the drive. It ended up being punted away. And then also going deep, Snead and Lamar were on the same page, and he was a missed target there. So, but and then of course the fumble, which we'll get into later. But because I looked, we scored 17 points basically in the first quarter. We were like a couple seconds into the second quarter when we scored 17. And the fact that we only scored six more points the rest of the game was a huge scr- head scratcher for me. And I was like, I have to see what happened here. And that's that's what happened. I rewatched the film. It was really surprising. You felt like they could have scored way more points in that game. And against the better teams, you're going to have to. You know, it's interesting, Chris. You brought up the time of possession. And I did notice that, that the Ravens had almost 40 minutes of the time of possession. So... I was just kind of curious and look back on some of the other games this season. And actually, the Ravens, with the exception of the Cleveland game, where it was almost dead even, but a couple couple seconds in favor of Cleveland, the Ravens have been dominating the time of possession in games. And aside from that Miami game, the offensive scoring production has you know stayed in the low 20s. I'm looking here specifically right at the week two against Arizona. Baltimore had the ball for 37 minutes, 38 seconds, not quite as much as they had yesterday, but similar win in the time of possession battle and the exact same number of points. Actually, that's the same exact score, isn't it? 23-17? Yeah, it's 23-17 yesterday as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I... And I remember that game very similar to what you just said, Alec. You know, they had that Mark Andrews touchdown early and... It would take them two more drives to score another touchdown, so not quite as quick a scoring. But still, they had 17 points in the first half and only six in the second. So, yeah, this offense seems to be the story of a lot of games this year. Start out hot and then kind of struggle to score points after that. And you guys are absolutely right. That's something that they're going to need to correct to, to beat the Kansas Cities and the Seattle's and even the Houston's coming up the for the rest of the season. I think my takeaway from this game is mainly that we know that we can rely on Lamar in multiple ways, I think. And this game really showed, I mean, that he's not afraid to showcase his running ability and pick up lots of yards and on the ground and as you know, as well as a rushing touchdown. So if we have to play that type of game, you know, given what the defense gives us and if that's what the defense gives us, all those big outside runs, then Lamar can put the ball in his hands and he'll be able to pick off huge chunks for you. And I think that's fine. There might be other games that we need him to step up in the short and intermediate throws. And, you know, I think that's where we're still trying to work out those kinks and to be more consistent in those areas. So overall, I think it's good. We we know what we want to do and that's run run the ball, but we need to figure out you know, how to improve the other areas. And I think that's where it's going to really improve our offense is ability to score points. That way we won't have to have, you know, those inside runs stuffed at the goal line. You know, we can use some play action, misdirection, something else to be able to cover up for those uh, deficiencies. Speaking of inside runs, I got to talk about this. You know, I'm curious to hear if Peter had any conversations at the stadium about this, but it kind of bugs me that we use Lamar as a power running back sometimes. Like, it scares the crap out of me. And I know it sets up plays where he'll fake inside and then the running back goes outside and, and big gains have occurred. And I get all that. But, you know, our running game is the best in the NFL. And I'm curious if it'd be just fine without having to slam Lamar into the 350 pound guys in the middle of the field. Like, 
I want him to play the game. I don't want to worry about him getting injured all the time. But there's just some common sense plays I feel like we're not doing. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of like bugging me a little bit. Because we have we have an amazing power running backs. We have two great ones. Gus Edwards, the Gus bus is great inside. And Mark Ingram, I apologize for ever questioning spending $4 million on you. You're the best $4 million the Ravens have spent <laughs> easily. <laughs> like, you know... I hope they spend four million like that all the time in off season because you are the real deal, my friend. And like, I want to buy you a beer the next time I see you. Like, <laughs> that guy, he's awesome. He's a great. It, honestly, if I thought he had more years on the Ravens, he'd be my next jersey just because. Like, I love the way he plays. I've been talking about getting Hollywood, but man, I I love everything about Ingram. He plays like a Raven. It's great. It's awesome to see. And he's great in pass protection. He can catch the ball. I mean, he's an all-purpose back. It's amazing. So yeah, ironically, despite the fact that I did hear comments on it on the radio driving home, that all of Lamar's runs were one of the things I didn't hear fans comment on during the game, except that they liked that he was running. I also am with you. I didn't understand the number of designed runs up the middle for Lamar. Like the runs where he was going to the outside, like on the touchdown run where um by the way, Miles Boykin had an excellent block yeah. that really helped that play. Miles Boykin. Yeah, thank you for bringing it up. I'll get to Boykin as well because he could have had a, a bigger game than he did have. But I don't get the design runs. I will say there were several times that Lamar was in a pass play and he took off and ran. And the reason for that, I don't know how you know, I'm watching the game recap right now, but it's the condensed version, so I'm not, you know, getting a good look of how the plays are developing. I don't know how evident it was on TV, but at the stadium, like anytime the Ravens had, you know, a, a second or third and long obvious passing play, the Bengals were just leaving the middle of the field wide open. They were daring Lamar to run. And he's just, Lamar was just like, all right, I don't, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm just going to run. And he would get five yards before a defender was within five yards of him. It was incredible. Now, I think that he could have slid more. I think that earlier in the season, he was doing a little better job of protecting himself. But I also think that if the defense is giving you that, you got to take it because the Ravens were getting easy, easy yards like that all game. Yeah, I agree. I I think there were a couple plays in there too where... You didn't see those big hits. He would get low, get beneath the, the defensive guys, and just kind of fall down. Not all of the hits that he took were, you know, significant. But, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I mean, I I don't know. I chalked this one up to this is what the defense is giving you, just what you said, Peter. You got to take what you can get. Try to keep yourself safe. But also, I mean, like, if this is how you need to play the game, do it this one week and then the next week, hopefully the defense gives you something else and, you know, you can switch it up a little bit. As long as we're not doing this every single week, I think we're okay. I think another area to talk about with Lamar this game is, obviously, we all know Lamar can run. It's his uh, progression as a passer that we're taking a special eye on this season. And, you know, I, I think today or yesterday wasn't his worst game, wasn't his best game either. He's continuing to make strides, but... I will say, having watched the game, Miles Boykin could have had a much bigger game than he did. There are a couple plays that I remember seeing him open, and it was obvious he was like the third or fourth read, so I think that's why Lamar didn't get him to him. But the most frustrating one was, again, I don't know if this was evident from watching the TV broadcast, the last scoring drive that the Ravens had, where they had to settle for the field goal. Lamar was had a play where the pocket was collapsing, 
and he just kind of locked in on Boyle, which I think was the right thing to do in that situation. But it was a shame because he was spending so much time trying to plant his feet and get the ball to Boyle, which he did, I think, for a first down. If the offensive line had been able to give him another second or two on the complete opposite side of the field, Boykin is completely wide open, not a Cincinnati Bengal defender near him. So I think that, as we keep saying, if the Ravens can find some way to shore up this pass protection, you're going to see even more growth from Lamar from a passing perspective because he's going to be able to go back to seeing those the entire play develop like he was in the first two games of the season. Yeah, as Film Study, the other podcast we'd like to mention, talked about last week, Bozeman is definitely the weakest link on this offensive line, and it's not even close. He had a lot of trouble this week, too, with four penalties called against him and a few times where I saw he kind of gave up the the pressure. I really hope that maybe not next week, but maybe during the bye, they're able to figure out if Powers is ready or I don't know. I would love to see some improvement from that position because everyone else is actually doing a pretty good job. I feel like he's definitely the weakest link by far. Yeah, and I mean, that that was what we talked about a lot in the offseason was who is going to step up and take that left guard position. The conclusion the team seems to have come with is it's Bozeman or no one because they traded away Illuminor, who I don't even know if he's still with the Patriots or not. And Ben Powers, I don't believe, has been activated yet. And they haven't tried to cycle in James Hurst and left guard at all. So I guess Bozeman by the coaching staff's assessment is the best the Ravens have at the moment. I had this down later, but we can talk about it now or later. It's up to you guys. If we think the Ravens will try and make a trade at all during the bye week to address either this left guard hole or one of the outside linebacker holes that we seem to have. Or maybe a secondary hole with all the injuries. That too. Yeah, well, we got to get to that. I mean, maybe to close out the trade topic, though, I, I, just for some different perspective, I mean, I know Bozeman has had some struggles in, in pass blocking, but, I mean, he's been fairly good at, at run blocking, to be honest. He's been asked to pull a lot, and he's been making a lot of blocks there. I, I definitely think we could do better, but I also don't think he's, you know, the worst lineman that I've seen play for the Ravens. I feel like we've seen a lot worse I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying on this particular offensive line, which I think overall is pretty solid. Ethan Brooks and Tony Pashas are waving at you right now. (laughs) Oh man, Pashas too? Dang. I I think the the other thing too to to bring up as well, I think Hurst may not be playing in that left guard spot because the coaching staff feels that he might be a more valuable asset as a backup tackle. Although, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't want Hurst to be playing either tackle spots because of the history he's had on that side. Uh, 2015, you know, Flacco's uh, uh, ACL injury, namely. But, um, you know, I mean, think about it. We don't really have a whole lot of tackle depth. I mean, the, the one guy that we did have, at least last year, uh, Greg Sennett, is now with the Chiefs. So, you know, we really don't have that many guys right now that can back those guys up, aside from Hurst. You know, and you would think that if the coaching staff really wanted a left guard, they would play Hurst, but I have a feeling they're kind of holding back because they're like, you know, if he if we decide to have him start and he gets injured, then where are you going to find a backup lineman? That's a lot harder to get. That is a good point you bring up because, I mean, last the past two seasons, the Ravens have had Hurst at left guard for several games, but 
I think you do bring up a good point there as to why he may not be getting snaps there this year because Hurst can play tackle if, hopefully this doesn't happen, but if Hurst or Brown does go down, I don't really see Bozeman stepping up into that role in the, if that case does happen. No, I don't think so. I think some people have also talked about Patrick McCarry potentially playing basically any role on the line. I'm not totally sold on that either. I mean, he's... Re- really small for a for a tackle to be honest i mean definitely a a center and a a guard he could probably play both those spots but i wouldn't put him on the end honestly i think it comes down to what you guys said too it really if ben powers is ready if they think he's ready then we might see more of him but if he's not then bozeman will probably do fine for the next couple games you know barring it doesn't get much worse i will say i thought it was a cool moment when uh when mark engram handed the ball off after his touchdown to bozeman to spike it I always lo- I always like seeing the running backs, you know, give the give the offensive line the guys who who do the dirty work for them some love. I always think that's a cool team moment. Definitely, I think that was really great to see and really well put, Chris, about maybe saving hers for that role. Before we talk about the defense, I definitely want to take a note of the special teams. I was away this weekend for a bachelor party and. We had NFL Game Pass, which was awesome, so we could see any and all the games, but it took us a second to find the game, and that second it took us to find the game, we missed the first play of the game, so I had to go watch it on Game Pass. Man, what an unfortunate way to start off the game, with the kickoff going all the way back against us, guy totally untouched. What did you guys think about that? Yeah, so for me, I got to the front gate of the Raven Stadium at a little after 1240, so I knew that, you know... The ticket scan process is faster in the regular season, but I thought, you know, we're probably going to miss a couple plays at the beginning of the game. So I situated myself right in the center aisle for getting in there, had a great view of the game, got all pumped up as we walked up watching the player introductions. Then I get right to the to the scanners, the metal detectors, and... You know, so I'm focusing on 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 that, getting ready to uh, remove the stuff from my pockets to get through there, and then I just hear the stadium going crazy and and people in line behind me who who were Bengals fans. And I look up at the screen. I'm like, oh no, it's a touchdown. That's not a great way to start. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was behind me was this uh, this Bengals fan. He couldn't have been if he wasn't our age. He was a little older, or younger, but you know, he had this this big bushy beard, uh, a Bengals floppy hat, sun, orange sunglasses, an AJ Green gr- jersey. And, you know, he was cheering about the play. <laughs> and, you know, so I had to get, I had to do a little trash talk. I was just like, yeah, well, we had to spot you guys a couple points. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and he, he just looks back at me. He's just like, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably all the points we get this game. And then I just felt awful. I was like, oh, man, this fan base, they're so beat up. They can't even trash talk. <laughs> But yeah, that was a. Uh, I'm sure Harbaugh is is going to be playing that over for the special teams this week if he hasn't already. Because yeah, as a special teams guy, he does not take miscues on special teams well at all. And I was surprised too because like you know, we were talking last week about how how Tomlin had so little faith that his special teams was going to be able to get good field position with how good. Tucker was hanging the ball and how our coverage team was in position for that. Credit the Bengals. That happens sometimes. Yeah, I will say watching it on TV, I was, uh, it almost felt like the team was just in slow motion. 
you know it just it just felt like the like our guys were just kind of sluggish and i i think it really just tells you how fast this brandon wilson guy is from the Bengals. he was just flying by it's it's just amazing yeah, he was fast. I know NFL. I know uh, Justin Tucker as an NFL kicker. I mean, those guys are still incredible athletes, despite the fact that they're surrounded by just even more incredible athletes. But Tucker, I mean, we've seen him get in there for a tackle before, even though he shouldn't. He just he looked insanely slow. I mean, Wilson just went by him like a bullet as he tried to, or at least made, looked like he made the attempt to <laughs> try and uh, stop the play. Yeah, that's right. You just knew at that point it was it was done. Ravens had already put themselves in a hole that luckily they were able to get out of pretty quickly, but still want to shore that up. <laughs> yeah, they definitely had some good blocks and Bowser was like kind of the last guy that had a chance on him, but he wasn't he was trying to block off, you know, another lane, so it wasn't really his fault. I'm not trying to say that, but he he was like really the only one that had a chance of stopping him and he was pretty out of position for that guy being so fast. Another thing that happened is that we had a bad snap on a field goal and we had a bad snap on a punt so surprising amount of bad snaps in one game so i think the special teams was probably the worst part of our game for the first time in a while because they're usually so incredibly consistent that's true but they also did make some good plays though chris moore had really good awareness on the the kickoff return to open the second half Mm -hmm. that ball initially it didn't look like it was going to go out of bounds it did look returnable but uh, he let it fall. It looked like he was thinking about picking it up, but he had the wherewithal to let that saunter out of bounds at the one-yard mm-hmm. line, so the Ravens got good field position to start the second half. They didn't do anything with it initially, but you know, at least they had a, a leg up in the field position battle to start with. And, you know, Tucker, I I think he relished that bad snap, man. It just It just gave him another opportunity to show off you know his new wizard status that he's reached <laughs> as i hinted at last week where you know he was just like all right we got a bad snap here and i'm just gonna take it i, I bet you he called bank he had to have called bank on that 49 yarder <laughs> <laughs> okay all right sir <laughs> hey this guy he's special he's definitely special it's a lot of fun to watch i hope we have him for as long as he plays the nfl Hopefully he becomes the kicker to get to 2,000 points, also the fastest, as he just hit the milestone to 1,000 points this past weekend. Yeah, he did. They, they announced that at the stadium. I guess Tucker just, you know, he does all these other things. I kind of forgot about it already, but you're all right, Chris. He did cross that threshold. I do have to say, though, I, I think that's kind of both, I mean, it is a testament to how accurate he is. I suppose, but it's also kind of a little bit of a poor indictment on some of the offenses he's had to uh, bail out and have put him in the position to reach that so quickly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, man. My my wife's father, so my father-in-law, they don't watch football too much, but they'll watch it when uh, it's a primetime game because they, they get NBC. And he'll still talk about, he's like, man, uh, talking about the t- 2013 game against Detroit. I've never seen a, a game where the NFL kicker had to kick that many field goals. <laughs> Single-handedly won that game for us. When he makes it in the Hall of Fame, that's going to be the one they point to. That game right there. That and the Patriots game in 2012. That game as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But anyway, yeah, um, 
you know, we're all in agreement here. The special teams was the weakest part of this game. But let's talk about the defense, actually. I think that the defense made some pretty good strides in terms of improvements. You know, there's a couple injuries that we've had to overcome with Tony Jefferson getting out, you know, with a torn ACL and God knows what else in his knee. And Peanut Owasso was also out this game. And, you know, all things considered, I I think we look pretty good. What do you guys think? I think they play the best fundamental football game as a defense we've seen. And it's really interesting considering the fact that our two starting inside linebackers were picked off the street. I want to buy another beer for Bynes and a beer for Fort too, even though maybe not as warranted. Bynes has been incredible. I don't even know how that guy was sitting on the, the free agent market. He's been playing absolutely inspired football. And Fort came in contributing on special teams and also playing solidly on defense. I'm so glad we found those guys because man, we are getting hurt in a lot of places and we're hurting all over the place. We're going to need as much help as we can get on this defense in order to make a playoff run this year. I agree 100% with that assessment that this game, the best way you can describe the defense is strong, fundamental game. And not just us, lots of NFL sites, you know, when Nick Chubb had that, that 10 yard touchdown, as well as the 85 yarder, what everyone was commenting on was just how poor the tackling was on both those series. And I'd say the Ravens did a very solid job yesterday. I don't think they really, there's not, there wasn't really a big play that I can think of that they gave up on. Bengals were able to, to move the ball on some drives with doing a lot of short passes, a lot of quick outs, but they didn't really give up any big plays. They got the, the one interception off to Josh Bynes tip to Marlon Humphrey. They didn't get any sacks till the end, but they also, they, they put a lot of pressure on, on Andy Dalton. There was a lot of throws that he made yesterday that were not really within a vicinity where the intended receiver could catch it. One point I want to make out about the secondary this week, you know, we've talked a lot about in the past couple of weeks on how Maurice Canada has really stepped up for this team. And while he hasn't played perfectly, you know, he's been solidifying a position that is needed on this team right now with all the injuries. I'm seeing a lot of analysis of this game where, you know, people are citing the fact that Alden Tate was able to get six catches off Canada for, for 90 some yards. And he's been kind of looked at as not playing a particularly good game yesterday. I thought he did fine yesterday, in my opinion. He, he made a couple plays, a couple aggressive plays where he knocked the ball away from Tate. Sure, he gave up some catches, but they kept throwing it at him. Like, it was the rest of the secondary was doing such a good job at blanketing the rest of the field. It was like the only direction Dalton felt comfortable throwing at regularly throughout the game. I don't know about you guys, but I think that, I don't think, I'm not saying he played a great game, but I think given his current position on the team and what we're expecting from him, it was a solid outing. I agree with you, Peter. I, I think the one thing to keep in mind, too, about the Bengals' offense is that and I think this is mainly because of A.J. Green is out. A.J. Green was kind of their guy. They could Ravens fans, we know this. You know, you would throw up the ball to A.J. Green, and he'd come down with it and run past their guys to the end zone. I remember that one play, I think it was 2015, where Jimmy Smith and the safety ran into each other, and A.J. Green just goes off, right? But without a... Which one? <laughs> yeah, right. Which one? <laughs> he burned us a lot that year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But um, but anyway, without A.J., there wasn't that much of a deep threat on, on the Bengals' team. So they're really just a dink-and-dunk offense with... Uh, 
no run game to speak of. So, I mean, they're living on those, you know, short passes. And, you know, I mean, being the slot corner, you're going to go against these guys who, you know, the small, shiftier guys who are made for those type of catches. And again, like you said, Peter, I, I don't think that's Kennedy's fault. The good things that I saw, I mean, he had tight coverage. In some case, maybe a little bit too tight. I know Rich Gannon and some of the guys were talking that, you know, he may have should have been called for a few more pass interference, you know, flags. But generally, he was sticking to his guys. And like you said, he had a couple pass deflections, you know, and some good plays here or there. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, and I think the commentators made a comment about about it during the game, is that, you know, Auden Tate from the Bengals, he looks pretty good. He made a handful of yeah. catches that were like, oh, my God, how did he come down with that? You know, and it wasn't just against Kennedy too. I believe he had, I think, a back shoulder uh, catch against uh, Brandon Carr, and Carr had, you know, was in good position as well, and he stick, stuck the arm out, but Dalton put it a couple inches outside the arm, and, and Tate just made a fantastic play. So keep that in mind when you're assessing Kennedy. Alden Tate was a baller yesterday. I was like, man, when you get AJ Green, Boyd, Alden Tate, Ross all in the same field, that's gonna be it. That if that offensive line can block long enough, that's scary. That's a lot of really interesting options in the wide receiver realm. He was he balled out yesterday. I agree a hundred percent. Don't look at it as just the defense playing poorly in, in that regard. He he just made some great catches and impressive plays. About Canada, they definitely were picking on him for one reason or another. I think he was hot and cold, echoing a lot of the things that you guys mentioned. But one thing I think, I think the reason they were doing that is you have to remember who's on the other side. Like no one's picking on Humphrey. And when it comes to candidate, he is aggressive and that can get him burned in a couple situations. He was a little out of position. I think that's what they were betting on. They were hoping, well, he's our best bet of being out of position, even if he's playing pretty good football. So I'm looking forward to him maturing as a player. I really hope and pray that a Jimmy Smith is available next week. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that next episode. But the secondary is going to be tested a lot next week, and we'll get to see how all these pieces that are getting mismatched in because of injury fare then. Right. Well, I mean, we also have to hope that Kennedy is going to play next week. Apparently, he exited the game with a thigh injury or a, uh, no, sorry, a hamstring yeah. injury, I believe. So. The news isn't as bad as, you know, the other guy that we need to talk about, but, you know, we got to hope that everything's okay with Kennedy. What a shame it's been with this secondary this year with all these injuries. I mean, obviously, some players on the secondary have not been playing quite up to the level that we thought they would, but part of that's because they're playing in positions that they weren't expecting to. Man, we're we're never going to know what this secondary, I mean, well, I forget whose contract is up after the year, but we're never going to know what this specific secondary this year would have looked like. I'm sure they would have still had some of the problems they're having right now. I'm not going to say that all of the problems they're having on this secondary is attributed to the injuries suffered by Jimmy and Tavon Young, but man, it's just so frustrating that we've seen Tavon Young, then Jimmy Smith, Tony Jefferson, Deshaun Elliott, and now maybe Canada go down Ah, injuries are part of the game, but man, that doesn't make them any less frustrating when they happen. Yeah, so with a season-ending injury to Deshaun Elliott, I think it's easy to say that we have basically a starting team 
secondary injured <laughs> uh, for either the whole season or enough of the season that it's just crazy impactful. I mean, it's wild. Yeah, it's definitely a shame if he hadn't gotten hurt. I'm sure we would have talked a lot about how those guys, Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott, were both in on a number of packages this game. They actually had a, a lot of snaps, and they were doing some good things in those packages. But unfortunately, that's going to be you know, short-lived. Man, we jumped so much already on the, the bad news coming out of the game. Man, I don't even know if, if, that's, if the good news of the game is going to be enough to, to brighten our moods at all. One thing we haven't gotten to yet was that the Ravens finally stopped a rushing attack yesterday. Oh, they completely destroyed that rushing attack. My boy Mixon, he, he was a sit. <laughs> Man, some, someone may have uh, you know, had some insight, fantasy insight, on that one particular move. <laughs> I agree, man. Also, congratulations on your win. Uh, <laughs> our good buddy Peter demolished me in our league. I think I'm going to be in last place after this week. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I tell hey, you. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Carry, carry on has a touchdown right now. I know, but look at the score, dude. <laughs> yeah, the severed fish heads are, uh, are struggling mightily this year. But anyways, I digress. Yeah, this, this team looked really solid, run defensively, and I am super curious how they play next week. Again, we talked about an explosive passing attack from Seattle. They also have one of the best run games in the league behind, you know, of course, our run offense. But nevertheless, a really solid one. Uh, maybe Penny will be back from his injury, but Carson's playing very well this season. So I'm just really curious to see how this defense plays next week. That's going to be their biggest test. So one one cool Ravens-related note that we want to get in before we wrap things up was... It was cool that we had yet another Ravens legend retire Raven yesterday. Anquan Bolden was the legend of the Ravens game. He came out of the tunnel after player introductions with the Shield, after he gave a message on the video boards, thanking the Ravens fans and the organization for his time there, reliving the Super Bowl. It was just cool to see another guy on, on the offense. And Anquan Bolden, he played obviously for several teams, you know, Arizona, San Francisco, Detroit, and really just played three years in Baltimore, had three of his least statistically productive years, although they were statistically productive uh, years for a Ravens receiver, if you're looking at it on that scale. Right. But I'm sure the Super Bowl ring had a, had a big reason for Bolden choosing to retire a Raven, but you know, it was still cool to see him put, put aside the Ravens' unfortunate decision to, to let him walk over paying him a little more on an offense that desperately did need him and retire with the team that that got him a Super Bowl. Anquan Bolden always will be one of my favorite Ravens players. It's cool to see him retire as a Raven. I wanted to give a shout out to Chuck Clark taking on a huge responsibility of the green dot. Seems like communication was on point this weekend. He was all over the field. He played every snap and when he wasn't playing at safety, if the Sean Elliott was there, he moved into like a, a tweener linebacker position. I mean, talk about some flexibility. I really appreciate the things that this defense is trying to do to fill in these gaps caused by injury. And yeah, I think they're being really creative. So shout out to Wink for making these different looks and using his players to the best of his ability. Yeah, he's going to have his hands full next week. You know, as we talked about with all the injuries, he's going to have to go a little bit deeper in his uh, in his 
office and create up some crazy schemes to figure out how we're going to cover for all these guys that went down. Do you want to make Clark your uh, MVP? Remember we did that that segment last week? Yeah, I'm definitely willing to make Clark my MVP. I think he definitely earned it, played a great game, and I hope to see what happens next. You know, we were talking about how maybe these injuries might give players a chance to shine that wouldn't get it otherwise. And, you know, you don't wish ill on any of these injuries, and you're probably playing the right person. You know, the coaches know these players the best, but it's cool to get opportunities for these kind of guys against top-tier talents, not just preseason games. I'm going to give my game MVP awards to the guys up front on the D-line, Michael Pierce, Brandon Williams, and uh, Chris Wormley had uh, some pretty couple stuffs on the line as well. You know, these guys didn't really have a super great game against the pass, but they were giving Mixon and Bernard no room to run up the middle uh, or off guard. And I think it definitely helped make the job for the secondary easier by not allowing Dalton to have that running game to to rely on to make his job a little easier. So they can still play better, but I liked what I saw from those three guys yesterday. Yeah, definitely agreed with both of your MVPs. A lot of good things to see from a lot of our players, even though uh, you know we were maybe a little bit pessimistic, I think, this game. But uh, for me, man, I, I got to go with the, the wide receivers, all of our wideouts. You know, the, they didn't jump off. Uh, as far as the stat sheet is concerned, but they're blocking all the time. In particular, Willie Sneed. I mean, if you guys saw how many times he had to run across the formation to go and block for Lamar on the outside, it was insane. And Roberts came in for a couple of plays and did the exact same thing. And even sometimes they pull across the formation and then Lamar would go the other way. So <laughs> the, uh, the, <laughs> those guys were, were blocking all game and, you know, Lamar had a career day and, you know, they were uh, a big part of it. Roberts played really well. I definitely was happy to see him get some touches and some nice looks this week. Yeah, it says he was in on, let's see, 41% of snaps. So, yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of good blocks and uh, had a couple of good passes on slants. It's one, one additional note I have from watching the game. The slant routes, they're open. When they try and run nine routes or deep crosses, the team was not getting open. It's not just Lamar not having the chance to throw it, deciding to throw deep. The scheme right now isn't getting these guys open, at least not with Hollywood there. <laughs> right. That's good to know. Or Greg Roman, if you're listening, call up some more slants. Did you have anything else you wanted to share, Peter, from the, from the game? <sighs> Only other thing I have to share, and I think we all have the same sentiments. Mark Andrews, I love you. You're the guy whose jersey I bought of the new crop of Ravens. Stop the hurdles. Don't listen to Mr. Boyle. He's gotten two suspensions from the NFL already. I don't think he would be the veteran I would be taking advice from. You're freaking 6'5", 250. You could have bulldozed all three of those defenders and gotten the first down and still would have been running down the field. There's no reason for a guy that big to hurdle. It makes zero logical sense to me. It very rarely looks as awesome as is worth the payoff. But... He claims he's still going to do it. I just hope he doesn't injure himself like uh, TJ Hawkinson did a few weeks ago or kick the, the football out of his hands with his knee again. But <laughs> That's right. Still love you, Mark. Just keep doing what you're doing. Try and hurdle less. I love the fact that you included there that you have his jersey. I think that really 
sends the message home <laughs> that you appreciate him. <laughs> but dude, he's a beast. He is a beast. He is a beast. Do 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 do. Breaking news. We recorded on Monday night before all the trades happened in the NFL, one of which I guess the starter was with the Ravens, and then a secondary trade with the Rams made it a little more clear why this trade may have occurred. Guys, what do you, what do you think about all this news? I was a little surprised it happened now, um, but I guess, you know, the trade deadline is coming pr- now, so someone's got to jump in first, I guess. <laughs> I guess I, I was expecting more something to happen after this game coming up with Seattle with the Ravens entering the bye week. But yeah, I think the other shocking part about this was Marcus Peters wasn't really a name that you heard floated around as a potential guy that was on the trading block, whether as an interest for the Ravens or any other team, my recollection, I mean, you heard names floated out there. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey, we all knew, Melvin Gordon, Von Miller. But yeah, Peters is someone that, you know, in the couple hours since that's happened, I had to think about, well, how does he fit in to the Ravens? Because I hadn't really thought that I'd have to think about that. (laughs) Yeah. So to be clear, um, just to go over the terms, so it looks like at first, we thought it was going to be a player-for-player player trade. So originally, we thought it was going to be Marcus Peters for Kenny Young. But now the details have come out, and they've been since been confirmed by the Ravens. It looks like it's we receive Marcus Peters, the Rams receive Kenny Young, and our fifth-round pick. And I, I'm not sure if this part is confirmed, but it definitely seems probable that that fifth-round pick is actually the fifth-round pick that we received from trading away Vedvik in the preseason, which when you look at it that way, if that's true, that's awesome. (laughs) If any of this is true, unless Kenny Young seems to be the second coming of Ray Lewis, like this is master sorcery, in my opinion. I'm looking at things right now. This guy has a lot of potential. It looks really exciting. It looks like he'll get some interceptions. I know he's been burned this year a little bit, but he still ranks seventh of all quarterbacks. That's awesome. I mean, this is huge. Our dilapidated, we talked about in the episode, our dilapidated secondary, you have a whole like starring secondary on injury reserve or out for multiple games this season. We never knew what this secondary was going to look like, but it looks like we've just took a pump of adrenaline right into it. And we're like, well, how about this? You know, I'm, I'm excited to get a guy of this caliber on the team for a person who has lost his role to a bunch of people signed midseason, seems like a big win. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the big thing about this trade too is it's a great value trade. I mean, we had been talking in the first couple episodes about potentially trading for Jalen Ramsey because he wanted out of Jacksonville, and that was kind of the second half of the big news here. But I mean, when we saw some of the leaks that were coming out of people saying, oh yeah, the Ravens offered a first round pick or two first round picks and Hayden Hurst, we were like, whoa, hold hold the brakes, pump the brakes, man. That's like, that's so much to give away when you think that Ramsey really only has two years left and then after that you have to pay him a boatload of money. And we already have Marlon Humphrey to pay money for. But I mean, when you're talking just, you know, a player that had, was already pretty disappointing anyway in Kenny Young, I mean, obviously he's still a potential and I, I'm, a, you know, a little disappointed that we traded him away so quickly. But that being said, I mean, he hadn't really proven much in the NFL, so it was really all just potential. But when you add that up and then the fifth round pick that we basically got for free, 
because it's not like we were going to keep Vedvik anyway. I mean, to get a, a starting cornerback for that, it's just that's that's a much better move, and I'm so glad that Eric DaCosta made it because the Ramsey one just didn't make any sense at all. But this one, this is a Ravens move. Like you said, uh, Kenny Young, it's still only his second season in the league. We had high hopes for him coming into this season. Um, needless to say, he's vastly underperformed those expectations we were talking about. And so if you look at what the Ravens got, yeah, Peters is at this point a rental, but I would much rather the Ravens have given up Kenny Young in this in this fifth-round pick than the two first-round picks that the Rams ended up having to give up for Ramsey. I don't, I don't, I'm not in the favor of trading away a first-round pick let alone two. I have some questions on how Peters is going to fit into this defense on whether or not there'll be some times, some games where he might give up a big play and we're upset about that. But the Ravens really aren't giving up much to take a flyer on this guy to see if he solidifies this secondary to make a, a further run in the postseason than this team is going to be able to with this continually beat up secondary. It is true that Marcus Peters is a rental. He is a free agent after this year. He's getting the last year of his contract, $5.8 million. But we'll see. I mean, if he ends up being a guy who adds a lot of value to this team, maybe we do sign him to a long-term deal. It's hard to say this early in the game. I think one question I have, and I don't know if it's too early to, to ask this question, is do we think he's going to play at his natural cornerback position, or do we think he's going to be playing uh, a variety of positions for the Ravens? Oh, man, I I, I was not assuming that. <laughs> I mean, what do you think he would play? Like free safety? I don't know if he would sneak into the secondary at all uh, in a safety position. I don't think he will. I was just asking the question because we saw that uh, Clark pulled down into like a linebacker position and was be a little bit more flexible. I don't know if you guys know more about Marcus Peters and his flexibility. I mean, based on what I know about him, uh, he's primarily a man, uh, a man scheme cornerback. I hear he does not play very well at zone, which is actually kind of funny to me because he is known to be a ball hawk. So I would think that he would want to keep his eyes on the quarterback and play zone a little bit better. But I don't believe he's played in any other position besides cornerback. And usually he's, you know, I think when he started, he was kind of like the the cb1 on the chiefs when he got to la he was sort of the cb2 behind to keep to and some rams fans seem to think that that was a better spot for him because of how much he does gamble it can be a little difficult for him uh, and he gets burned quite frequently if he gambles and loses so it seems like for us it, he would slide right into that CB2 spot alongside Humphrey and probably rotate a little bit more with Carr and then, you know, Jimmy, hopefully if he comes back healthy. I mean, that's that's what I was expecting at least. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I don't really haven't heard too much of Peters being lined up at safety, especially with him being as, as young as he is. Usually you're moving cornerbacks to safety when they're older and, and they've got some speed sapped out of them. You know, Marcus Peters, he's only 26. He's still got a lot of of his young legs with him. Maybe the change of scenery will bring him back to his ball hawking days with Kansas City. You know, his numbers down a little bit than what they were in Kansas City when he got signed by the Rams. But I think that everything's on the table. I 
don't know if he's going to play this coming week in Seattle, but I think the timing of the bye week is really going to help here. And once the Ravens have that additional week, you're going to see Wink go in and really see where they can put this guy uh, as far as schemes are concerned and how they can mix up this personnel to, to throw off opposing offenses uh, in the second half of the season. Yeah, he certainly seems to be back to his higher playmaking ability. I know last year he only had three interceptions, but if you look at it, he's on pace for about five interceptions at this point, and he already has a touchdown. Lots of the good things are going on for this guy, and I'm really excited to see him on the team. I was asking the question just because if we do believe Jimmy Smith is going to come back, and I know there's some questions around that, it is frequent that we run a nickel package, so we'll have all three of them out there to begin with. But I was just curious if you thought maybe he would help out Chuck Clark in a Deshaun Elliott role, and then Chuck can come down into the uh, inside linebacker position like he played a little bit during the Cincinnati game. That's all. That's the only reason I brought it up. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think there's probably another move or two that I would expect to kind of shore up depth either at strong safety or somebody who can play that sort of flex role that Clark and Levine sort of play because we're a little bit short there especially now trading Kenny away I know Peter you brought this up in our group chat of you know <laughs> if, if Kenny's gone Peanut might be on his way out and I'm I don't think that's going to be the case unless we know that we're going to pick up another inside linebacker that will be an upgrade because right now the only three guys we have an inside linebacker are Bynes, Fort, and Peanut and <laughs> two of the guys we just signed up off the street so you know, I, if I were the Ravens, I wouldn't be super comfortable trading away Peanut. Honestly, I think that Peters is going to step in and rotate with the rest of those guys. I mean, I think what we're learning this season is that we just, we need depth. And, you know, if we can share the snaps with all those guys and just keep everybody healthy for the rest of the season, that would be the best outcome, I think. And, I mean, who knows with Jimmy, he might be good to go like full strength it might take him a little longer I I, I mean I, I don't know enough about his injury to say you know whether he's going to be you know okay when he comes back another signing that happened earlier in the day is Bennett Jackson is back with the Ravens after his stint with the Jets he is already familiar with our defense going to come in as safety so he might be a good guy to spell Clark now that Deshaun Elliott has been lost for the season yeah, agree with that. And, and, you know, we were talking about it in the preseason. Bennett Jackson was a guy who was expected to step up and be a starter with the Giants all the way back in 2015 until some unfortunate injuries dramatically derailed his career. I think given his injury history, it's asking a lot for him to ever get back to that level. But if he had the talent back then to be considered for that role, I think there's he has the potential to step in and at least deliver the play that Deshaun Elliott was on pace to do before his injury. The good thing is that, you know, the Ravens still have Chuck Clark back there. As we talked about already, Chuck Clark wore the green dot on Sunday and all reviews out of that game from coaching staff and players was that Clark did a great job in that role. So, They'll these new guys will have someone between Clark and and Carr and I mean Earl Thomas is learning the defense a little more. They'll have these guys to who will be able to help them get into position, help them to learn the defense, and you know next man up. We'll see what happens. 
It's important to note that when Deshaun Elliott went down, Jeff Zereback pointed out astutely that it affects more than just the defense. He was also a part of special teams. And it does give me comfort knowing that Bennett is a guy who played on special teams as well. He's familiar with those packages, and I hope he'll be able to slot in there and really contribute on two sides of the ball. Plus, he was your preseason champ, so it's good to have him back, Alec, right? (laughs) Hey, man, look, as we talked about in the episode, these injuries are very unfortunate, but I'm glad it gives an opportunity to these other guys who we saw some promise in. It's really hard to break out in the NFL, but maybe these extra snaps against higher-quality opponents in prime time, maybe that's what they need. So these guys might be rentals, they might be short-term fixes for the Ravens, but hopefully this kickstarts a career for them and really enriches their life and their family. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And, you know, may, uh, hopefully gets them a Super Bowl ring, too. Hey. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's go. Keeping that positivity up in this pod. Absolutely. <laughs> well, guys, anything else you want to talk about in this emergency recording <laughs> on a Tuesday night? I mean, I think you said it all at the beginning of the episode. Ozzy's done great things for this franchise. The Ravens have two Super Bowls in their... 20-year history, they've handed off the torch perfectly to Eric DaCosta, and this guy has just been brimming with excitement for years to take over this team and inject his his strategy with this, and we're already seeing results, not even a full year in, and it's awesome. Yeah, the only other thing I was going to say, too, is that one, I mean, we already talked about the value of comparing it to like Jalen Ramsey signing or the Jalen Ramsey trade that just happened. Um, but honestly, I mean, you know, even when you look at it outside there, I mean, he's got one year left on his deal. You know, after that, if if he does well this season, we talk about re-signing him. If he does super well this season, maybe we don't bring him back because we need to put that money somewhere else. You know, if he doesn't do anything, let's fit, you know, we, we, gave, up, we gave up on, you know, a player that wasn't doing too great anyway and a fifth round pick that we essentially got for free so it's just it it makes sense all the way around regardless what the outcome is personally i'm i'm pretty excited about peters you know i know that he has some knocks on them and i am totally as skeptical as anybody else to (laughs) make sure that he he does his job here and improves a little bit more but honestly you look at his highlights man he would probably be as exciting of a player that we have had since Ed Reed. I mean, you look at some of his highlights, interceptions and forced fumbles. I mean, he's he can be an exciting guy. So I really hope that, you know, he's able to capitalize on that here in Baltimore. And interceptions, like we we've said, that's something this team is still looking to to splash make a splash on this year. So hopefully Peters can be the catalyst for that. Maybe I need to change my bold prediction that epic chain of events <laughs> for the interception. If this guy can play, it might be all changed. I'm going to stick with mine. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a great fix in the secondary if he is able to perform and play for the Ravens this weekend against the Seattle Seahawks. We'll certainly see. With that, we're going to sign off this week. We want to share with you guys a brand new way to connect with us. We have a Twitter page now. You can find us at Ravens underscore recap on Twitter. It's a great place to reach out. Give us some questions. We'd love to do some listener mailbag segment. And you can also support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Ravens recap. And just keep telling your friends, leave a review. 
in the iTunes store or wherever you get podcasts. And if you don't see the podcast in a podcast app of yours, let us know at feedback at ravensrecap.com. It's another great way to get in touch with all of us. We'll see you at the next episode. Yes, sir. Go Ravens. Is there a specific moment or a point when you got here that you really knew that this was going to be a good and special fit for you? Yeah, actually for me, um, I kind of realized that before I got here. Um, I was telling somebody the story. A lot of people don't know. I was actually trying to get here before I actually got here. Um, it was two years prior. Um, I was in Arizona and we played in the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh. And back then you played in the Super Bowl and then the Pro Bowl was the following week. Um, so we ended up getting to the Pro Bowl about that Wednesday. And me and Ray actually had a conversation poolside. And that was the whole conversation, trying to figure out how I was going to get here, um, how we were going to make it happen. The only thing on his mind was, man, we got to beat Pittsburgh. Like, can you help us do that? And I told him, you know, get me there and I'll take care of it. So uh, me trying to become a Raven, you know, it happened two years prior to 